0: LeBron feeds down low to Davis. You see the three-point shooting. Davis on a spin out to the rim, and Anthony Davis.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where God bless the United States of the Los Angeles Lakers. We truly are the world's chosen team. And what do you know, we actually had a game in China, and apparently there was nothing lost in translation when it came to whether or not LeBron James and Anthony Davis could still ball out in the East, the Far East. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and... Tonight, I'm joined by my typical co-host, Tommy Alexander. He is calling in from his car tonight. He'll be part of segment one, where we kind of do a quick recap of the Lakers preseason game two against the Brooklyn Nets. And then in segment two, we'll have Alan come on. And we did a pre-recorded uh, segment last night where he shared his thoughts on game one. But also we talked about the Lakers first half of their schedule, the first 19 games of their schedule, and why it's so important for them to get off on the right foot. Um, but yeah, so we'll get started right now. Tommy, did you wake up at 4.30 a.m. to watch the game in China today, or or yeah, what was your setup?
2: I have, fortunately, have DVR services, so I... What is that? Yeah, I, I dvr the game, I woke up a little bit earlier than normal. I guess for work, and then I just watched the game before work.
1: At work or at your house, and then you left. No, 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 at my
2: house, and then I left.
1: Okay, how early? We we just want to know how much of a true fan you are.
2: Probably not that early. Versus oh. some people, I, I, I mean, I probably watched the game. I, I was watching the game. In by like seven
1: so okay okay that that's that's not too bad well i woke up at 4 30 a.m oh i tried gosh. to <laughs> i tried to sleep a little bit early but i ended up like knocking out at like 12 so it still wasn't enough and i had like a 30 minute maybe 45 minute window after the game ended before i typically wake up to get ready for work and i was like all right here goes nothing hope this nap helps right before and uh i'm exhausted right now my eyelids might fall off but with that said we are doing this for you guys. And um, as usual, before we get started, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and interview us on iTunes because the more you rate and interview us, that's how many more times Dwight Howard will be dunking in practice and have his uh, warm up pants fly off, as everybody saw from Rachel Nichols' video, I'm sure, today. So if you want more of Dwight Howard, Warm-up pants flying off as he dunks the ball into the basket. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And actually, Tommy plugged our rating and review Twitter stuff last time. And guess what, Tommy? Someone responded. We got an additional five-star rating and review. Just shows you the power that you hold. Um, All right. Also, patreon.com slash thelakerslegacypodcast if you're willing to donate a dollar or two to help us out financially. Also, we are brought to you by Lineups.com. Check them out for all of your betting needs. Uh, with that said, Tommy, let's get into it. Brooklyn, Game 2. I'll add some additional caveats because it was unfortunate that in the first minute or two of the game, Kyrie Irving went down with some facial injury and then Karis Lavert got hit in the face. Uh, so pretty much two of Brooklyn's best players, uh took themselves out of the game really early on so I'm not sure how much we can actually take away from this game obviously because of that a lot of fans probably are thinking that well that sucks that we even lost the game in general but I don't know it felt like a it felt like the most experimental game that you could have stumbled upon I guess and I guess (laughs) I thought you
2: were gonna say the most experimental game so far out of two games
1: (laughs) I mean I I guess that's a silly statement to make, but. Taking into account the weird circumstances that were surrounding the Lakers in China, I don't know. It kind of felt like you know that they didn't even know whether the game was going to continue on. So maybe Vogel just looked at it as a time to really, really experiment. But I guess what was your your general takeaway from this game, even in spite of the fact that we weren't able to see how we'd fare against you know Steph Curry and Karis Lavert, which I guess is sort of similar to sorry Kyrie Irving. Did I say Steph Curry? Yes, he did. Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert, which is sort of similar to Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell, who we faced in um, that first game, except Kyrie and Karis had, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Jarrett Allen. But I guess it didn't matter because the whole Nets team ended up obliterating us from beyond the arc they shot 20 of 41 i think just
2: insane
1: or actually i think they shot 50 percent, 48 percent, or 50 percent. just an insane mark to the point where it feels a little bit outlier-ish um it feels like an outlier i felt like the uh lakers actually did a pretty good job at some points contesting but it didn't matter um they could definitely shore up the three-point defense i know that for sure but I think it was an anomaly for the most part that they shot to that extent and with that much accuracy. My main takeaway from this game is that, especially with the insertion of Rajon Rondo and KCP into the starting lineup. Boo! Yeah, boo that. That kind of messed things up a little bit. Danny Green wasn't in there, so the spacing was a little more wonky. Not only just because of Rondo, because we saw Rondo kind of work out in the first game alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, as long as Danny Green was there as well. But putting in KCP, who, you know, runs hot and cold every single minute, who's very inconsistent, that kind of just jacked up the spacing. And I felt like with regards to Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who both respectively still had pretty good games, most especially LeBron James... Their synergy and cohesion together was not as apparent this game. I felt like they worked off of each other much less, and it was more my turn, your turn. The good thing with that is when it comes to my turn, your turn with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it's still much more effective than what you typically see with other teams. Even like teams with uh, Steph Curry or D'Angelo Russell, where they really have to dominate the ball. With Anthony Davis and LeBron James, it's like they're still sucking in the defense and Still, you know, taking in that gravity. And especially for Anthony Davis, he always he typically makes the right reads from the post and he knows how to find his teammates and pitch the ball out at just the right times and just the right moments. As you saw with, I think he had five assists tonight. Um, two of those were pitch outs to Rajon Rondo for the, for three. One was a, a really nice bullet pass at the top of the free throw line to Rajon Rondo on the baseline. Um, another one to KCP. So even in spite of the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis didn't necessarily play off of each other as much. And we didn't really, I feel like we didn't really see that many pick and rolls with them setting screens for each other, that they still were able to get their work done separately, even though I would have liked to, to see a little bit more of that cohesion that we saw in the first game. Um, but with that said, the Lakers lost by three points. They technically should have won. Demetrius Jackson pretty much missed a wide open layup, but in general, what were what was the overarching feeling that you got from from this game? Is there anything to really take away? Not a lot to take away. I mean, well, some some things to take away.
2: I, I will say on your comment, just while it's fresh in my mind, about um, the LeBron-Anthony Davis dynamic, a large, I'm not going to say 100%, but a large portion of that it can be attributable to um, Rondo starting. When Rondo's starting, he's going to have the ball in his hands. Um, Avery Bradley is not, bring the ball up like hardly ever unless like LeBron needs a break or something. But the first game LeBron, I mean, it's like what Vogel and, you know, everybody uh, previewed earlier in the off season, LeBron is the point guard. And they don't mean that of course, in the traditional sense, like he's going to be guarding Steph Curry. They just mean like effectively he's playing point guard on offense. Um, and that's really what we saw in game one. I mean, this guy played like 12 minutes or, you know, 15 minutes and had eight assists in game one. Um, and it's not like we were hitting less shots; we were hitting just as many shots. It, it just like really comes down to Rondo was had the ball in his hands a lot more when um, LeBron was out out on the court. But in terms of other observations, definitely a weird game. I mean, experimental, like you said. Um, just like you can't get too high off a win in Game One, you can't get too low off a loss. Although you know it was a close loss and in the quarters where Anthony Davis and LeBron played, like, we outscored them by nine, I think, like, in the first and third quarters. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, What else? Um, Oh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, and I think it's easy to forget, like, in the game, Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, and Kyle Kuzma did not play. So, you know, we lost the game by three, but four people who were going to be... I'm not going to say they're all four of them are going to be in that, you know, consistent rotation, but like, they're going to be four active players on our roster for most of the season. Um, it, when you think about that, it's pretty crazy because we have guys like one through 15 who can really play. Like, if you think of Troy Daniels, as like, I guess if Taylor Horton Tucker is our 15th man and Troy Daniels is like our 14th man, like you could do a lot worse than Troy Daniels as like your 14th guy you know on the on the depth chart, so we definitely do have depth we saw some of the depth um because four guys didn't play with injury and we still put some like pretty good looking lineups out there um but the yeah beyond that the only other thing i'd say is i don't know if it's because of all the weird like you know we don't know what's going to happen or i don't know if like because the games are in china they feel more like ex like real exhibition like real um all-star game type scenarios or what, but the defensive effort, it was there in the paint because I think, like, guys wanted to get blocks in this game because they're exciting. Um, And in the first game, we didn't have that many blocks, and now the guys are trying to put on a show for the Chinese fans. But um, our three-point defense, I mean, it just left a lot to be desired. It wasn't even like, oh, you know, Rondo not playing defense off the ball, which was obviously part of the case, but it was also just like, Obvious closeouts were not happening, um, stuff like that that you hope is going to be part of our identity. And so you just—it's so early. You 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 hope that you can attribute that to the fact that it's an international game, second preseason game, all the weird stuff surrounding the game, and you hope that that's not just like, well, in game one they because they're playing the Warriors, they they could uh you know put it all out there. But it, this is what we're going to get the whole season. You know, hopefully it's yeah. not that.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of, especially more so in the first half, like I mentioned, there were some closeouts where I was like, dude, that guy just hit a tough shot. But more often than not, there was also those situations where I think the big man would drop back too much and leave that space, and then also the guards were not doing their best to run guys off three-point lines, or were just getting erased by screens, and all of a sudden they'd have that moment of time where they were wide open. So couple that with the fact that I think collectively there was just this cascading avalanche effect from the Brooklyn Nets team where their best shooters just all got hot. I didn't, I didn't know Torian Prince was that good of a three point shooter. Okay. I don't think he is, but, but him and Musa and Joe Harris, we know for sure, but yeah, it was crazy. But I mean, they got hot, but part of that, right. And and
2: this was a big issue for us in previous years when we were like, I mean, last couple of years we weren't an elite defensive team, but we were better than we were like four years ago, you know, in the Byron Scott years. And as we learned from those years, uh, part of the issue defensively is if you allow guys to get easy looks early, they're going to get hot. These are like professional NBA players. So we were giving up wide open threes and yeah, if you're, if a guy's hit, you know, two, three wide open threes, all of a sudden fadeaway contested threes are going to look a lot easier to that shooter, you know? So it. it you have to keep it consistent the whole 48 minutes and again it's obviously way 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 too early to to tell whether that this was an anomaly or if this is how they're or or we're going to just be an inconsistent team defensively like this um the entire season I I highly doubt it's the latter because Frank Vogel's our our coach but um just just something to keep in mind as we move forward
1: with regards to the interior defense I think we'll be fine there and maybe even the mid-range but we really need to focus on that three point line. Cause that's, what's really going to kill us. And if we're not a good three point defending team, I mean, that's going to cap our ceiling a lot. And
2: I like other than Frank Vogel's strategy of like not switching, you know, the, the not switching thing, or I mean, look, he, sw- uh, we switch on defense, but we don't switch everything. Like, which is what a lot of teams do now, what we've done for like the last three years that will, in some cases, burn us, um, because shooters are just so much better now than, like, when Frank Vogel was coaching the Pacers. Um, I think that will, like, there will be some adapting. That, like, he will adapt his strategy, I'm fairly I mean, he already has, like, we've seen some switching, but we really have no reason to otherwise not be a good three-point defense team because LeBron is not playing, like, he's going to play much less four than he played last year. Um, so, you know, in terms of... Uh, needing more collapsing to help him because he can't, he's not a rim protector. Like there's going to be less of that theoretically. Like we, like we have these two guys back there at all times who can block shots. Um, And Danny Green and Avery Bradley are both like very active on the perimeter. Um, LeBron is going to be more on the perimeter than he's been, than he was last year consistently. Um, So There's no reason why we should not be a good three-point defense team when our strategy is charge as fast as you can because you have guys who can protect you in the paint.
1: Yeah, you have Anthony Davis just funnel guys his way, you know, even just by a little bit. Um, But anyways, let's talk about Anthony Davis. He was 4-for-10 from the field, 16 points, 5 assists, 2 steals, or sorry, 2 blocks, 1 steal, only 2 rebounds. He did hit 8-of-9 from the free-throw line, which is great to see. He hit a mid-range jump shot and also a short sort of floatery looking shot. That was nice, showed off his nice touch. I think what impressed me the most about Anthony Davis outside of that uh, drop-step spin dunk that he had was um, the passing, obviously. We've seen it on display these first two preseason games, but most especially tonight, he was getting double-teamed and he would pitch it out correctly to Rajon Rondo, and thankfully Rondo hit his threes tonight. Um, but it just seems like Anthony Davis is just a an intellectually smart dude, like more often than not, he's making the right reads out of the post and you have to love that about him. Um, But even just that that whip bullet pass to Rondo cutting on the baseline where he kind of did a spin move, jab step fake. I thought that was a really impressive assist. And so I'm more and more excited to see how that develops this year and how much more Anthony Davis showcases his playmaking skills. Your thoughts on Anthony Davis' performance this time around.
2: Although he only shot four for ten, and it didn't look as easy in this game as it did in the first game offensively, I thought overall he had a better game. Um, he showed up defensively and made some really amazing plays. And ridiculous, I, and clear, the I, steel block, just ridiculous one, he, yeah. plays. And to be clear, like I don't even think he's going like anywhere near full, you know, one hundred percent at this point, which is good. Good. I mean, I don't want him to be going one hundred percent. He'd had some funny tweet about how. Uh, you know, it was like that, it was like some meme tweet, but it was like that look when like uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are like taking charges in the preseason. <laughs> like yeah. there's certain things like we don't necessarily need to see because we know who this guy is. Um, yeah. But yeah, the thing that's actually been the most surprising, and although he, I say only, but although he only had two assists in the first game or, or something like that, um, he is a way better playmaker than I thought he was going to be I mean like the ball handling is one thing but he finds guys I mean and he's quick to react and it's not just like an old school center like I'm gonna hold the ball and once the double team comes I'm gonna read the defense and pass it to the open guy and get the hockey this like he's making like really good like he's a very 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 high basketball IQ player which you know shouldn't be a surprise I guess to me because He's just such a good player, and it's hard to be, like, an elite player unless you have super high basketball IQ. Um, but, yeah, that, that's that been uh, the most impressive thing to me so far.
1: Yeah, tonight, as opposed to the Golden State Warriors game where he had zero blocks, I believe, and you just had to go off of him obstructing guys' jump shots and being a deterrent there in that respect, this morning's game, he was, like, swatting balls. That one... Where he snatched the ball out of the air, and they, and then he had two other blocks where they, he pretty much pinned the ball to the glass or smacked it across the glass, and uh, yeah, those types of feats from Anthony Davis, those are the freakish, freakish sort of displays of his, you know, dominance on the defensive end that we have not seen in a while. Actually, that's not true. Javale McGee would do that type of stuff, you know, last year. But combine it with Anthony Davis's like high basketball IQ on the defensive Thanks, end Lord as well. Away. And, and, and court awareness, correct. Uh, so that was very impressive. Last thing I want to talk about is just uh, I thought Dwight Howard was moving a lot better um, yeah. in, in today's game. He was a lot more spry and actually very nimble on the perimeter, which he's not known to be. He, he hasn't been known to be a good perimeter defender. Uh, a lot more active. He had a really nice tip dunk. So I think that's where you're seeing him getting cut and chiseled down pay off a little. I hope it continues. He had eight rebounds five points, two for two. JaVale McGee had 10 rebounds, five blocks, six points. He had a game high, team high, plus 11. Uh, He continues to excel in spite of the fact that he had that weird Harlem Globetrotter, shacked in a fool, behind-the-back wraparound spin travel that made Avery Bradley, (laughs) that had Avery Bradley going WTF, you know? But outside of that, yeah, great job by our two big-man duo once again, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. I think I told this to you earlier, but I'm really glad that we have Dwight Howard to sort of help range JaVale McGee in when he kind of gets wacky and crazy like that. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the big man?
2: I really liked in both games what I've seen from our centers. 100% agree. Dwight looked a lot better. Dwight did not play like the entire season last year, right? So I don't care how much you work out, how much weight you lost. He looked like he didn't have his basketball legs under him in game one. He looked like he more more so had those legs under him in game two. Um, it was very noticeable. I think if these guys stay healthy, we are going to be a serious problem for a lot of teams. Um, and the only thing I will say is Dwight can maybe tone it down a little bit in terms and 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 utilize a little more awareness when he gets aggressive on the perimeter because sometimes he was like defending like DeAndre Jordan or like Jared a- Allen, like you know. 20 feet away from the basket, he <laughs> 25 feet away from the basket. He doesn't necessarily need to do that. I appreciate the activity level, um, but, but he can maybe tone it down a little bit more on that. And I think he will, but I, you know, ultimately maybe that is the philosophy we're going for. Just everybody's going to be over the top active on the perimeter. And with the way our roster is constructed, I just don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I'm, that's one observation I had about him, but not even necessarily a criticism. We'll see how, how it plays out this this year.
1: Well, I mentioned that Dwight Howard reminds me of Avery Bradley at the center position, at least in today's game, where I was like, I love the activity. I actually appreciate it. But at some points, it's detrimental to what we're trying to do, and you're just racking up fouls. You know? A little misplay. Yeah. But it's fine. Um, last quick hits, KCP, annoying as ever, did get hot down the stretch. Is uh, he free? Mis- <laughs> Obviously, of course, he'd miss the potential game-winning three, at least it hit rim. KCP, R. Wesley Johnson for this generation and era. I
2: can't tell if you like KCP as a player, do you?
1: I really do. (laughs) (laughs) Alex Caruso, kind of a up-and-down roller coaster type of game with the turnovers. And at some point, he was kind of wild barreling into people and trying to look for foul calls that at this point, he just doesn't have the cachet to get. Uh, But he did have 11 points, 8 assists, a really nice alley-oop to Anthony Davis. These were his first minutes with actual rotation players, and he looked good. He immediately came out of the gate with 3 assists. The biggest thing for me, though, for Alex Caruso is... His three-point shot looks real. That was my biggest question mark coming out of last year where he shot an ungodly 45-48% from three. I was like, I don't know how much of that is smoke and mirrors, but at least as far as the first two games are concerned, it seems like he's a good three-point shooter. And if that's going to be the case moving forward, I like my comp for him as this Kirk Heinrich times Jeremy Lin fusion sort of player. Um, he also had three steals in one block, which is really good. He just needs to control himself and rein himself back in once again. But otherwise, really solid game by Alex Caruso. Avery Bradley, still pretty active. Got in foul trouble again. On the offensive end, he's really not providing anything. I think he had two wide-open threes, and he just like short-armed those. A little concerning, he did hit one mid-range jump shot. Um, I, I said it on Twitter, but I really hope Avery Bradley does not become our next KCP. I don't think that's going to be the case because Avery Bradley is a smarter player. Um, yeah. Oh, last thing, Rondo. Obviously, he had the counting stats, 18.6 assists, 5 five rebounds. But again, the big thing with Rondo is just finding the right unit to place him in. And um, having him with KCP was not, not the right idea. And I think we had him with KCP in two separate stints. And the biggest thing was with Rondo, too, is he just, I mentioned it to you beforehand, but he reminds me of Brandon Ingram in the, in the way that they can eat up possessions and it can become a black hole sort of deal. At least with Rondo, you know that you're probably going to get an assist or a pass off at the last second, but it's just not fun to watch. And then add on top of that, that on the defensive end, he's giving up so much and that 18 points is not as pretty an 18 points that, you'd like to see if LeBron James had the ball in his hands instead, you know? But yeah, your thoughts on the guard rotation and then we'll close it out from there.
2: Um, Caruso, I thought he played great overall. I mean, he's like clearly in a lot of ways showing himself to be our best overall point guard, which is kind of weird. Um, but also showed some flashes of why, of like why he might not necessarily be ready to be like the primary backup point guard on a championship caliber team for an 82 game season. I think he's shown enough to suggest that he can certainly play his way into that type of role. Um, maybe not even in the, you know, to just, uh, not, not too far off in the future, but I don't think he's necessarily ready now. He just, he had a few plays in part. And again, part of it is the lineup. Part of it's the context. Um, But he had some plays that were just, he looked like the youngest guy on the floor, because he was, you know, or like one of the youngest. Um, So, overall, but overall, still a really good game for him. Avery Bradley, I'm not worried about his shot. He's figuring out what he can do defensively, and that's taken him out of rotations way earlier than he should have been, and not letting him um, get into a rhythm. And then Rondo is Rondo. The counting (laughs) stats are meaningless to me, and he doesn't play any defense, and I just, I can't comment further, because he's, sorry, there, I can comment on Rondo too much, because there are definitely worse backup point cards out there, Um but he is what he is, Um he plays defense, or sorry, he doesn't play defense, there may be a role for him on the team, uh, I mean, there will be a role for him, and, like, we'll need him in the playoffs, probably, but, I just, it's hard for me to be, like, a big fan of his game, and I hope we can limit him to bench minutes and in a very defined role and not not waste too much time
1: i mean i will say for rondo that if we have to live with him getting minutes which he's gonna get some that he really worked on his three-point shot i think that's very apparent and as opposed to the last game i felt like he wasn't hesitating At, at least this game he was actually keeping the defense honest where I think the first game was kind of more reminiscent of old Rondo where he was kind of just assist hunting and looking to pass too much. One way Rondo can mitigate just how ugly it is in the half-court offense One way he can mitigate that is if he actually keeps defenses honest because as many times as he gets these crazy wide-open threes, I feel like he's just as open for some pretty easy layups. And today, at least, as he was doing the Steve Nash patrolling the paint and surveying the paint, he actually took advantage of that. So if he can do more of that, at least it makes it a little more palatable when he's out there in the half court if he's actually scoring and making the most out of it because you know he's going to give up like a minus 16 out of the 18 points he gives you. With that said, I think that'll do it for this show. Oh, I guess lastly, the one lineup that I would like to see uh, Rondo be put in that I think will optimize him is Rondo at the 1, Danny Green at the 2, Kuzma at the 3, Jared Dudley at the 4, and Anthony Davis at the 5. I think so far we haven't seen a lot of Rondo with Anthony Davis at the 5 minutes without LeBron, and I would like to see more of that. I can see why Frank Vogel likes... The Le- Rondo-LeBron pairing, but because he had two really nice passes to LeBron James in stride for some easy buckets, but most of the time that's happening in semi-transition or transition or if an actual play is being called and Rondo's executing it. Again, with Rondo, you don't want to go through flaming hoops just to make this work because guys might like it. But yeah, I would like to see that all shooters line up or all cutters line up with Anthony Davis at the 5 next to Rondo. And the last thing I'll say is I'm really, really looking forward to seeing Quinn Cook suit up because... That's one look that we haven't seen yet. We may have seen it a little bit from Troy Daniels, but Quinn Cook is Troy Daniels with an actual you know, playmaking game and a dribble game, and he can also get in the mid-range and use screens really well and pull up for those really nice mid-range jump shots. So really looking forward to seeing Quinn Cook because I think he's really going to change the dynamic of our half-court offense, and Anthony Davis and LeBron James are probably going to fall in love with him. So, yeah. Anything else to say before we close this out? Uh
2: No, I think we covered it.
1: Cool. All right. With that said, thank you guys for listening. We will catch you guys next time. The Lakers play one more game uh, against the Brooklyn Nets in China and then three games against the Golden State Warriors to close this preseason out. And hopefully we get more guys coming back and uh, we get to see more of a full rotation or get get to see more of a concretized vision of what Vogel wants to do uh, for the start of the regular season in the last three games. Um, with that said, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Uh, Tommy, tell them to do the thing on the thing. Give us a
2: five out of five star on the Apple Go Play Store and. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Lakerscom.podcast.
1: I already said that. Anyways, actually, this, it's okay. I don't know why I did that whole spiel because this episode's not ending, luckily for you guys. I've got Alan in segment two where he gives us his thoughts on LeBron James and Anthony Davis's synergy in game one. And also, we talk about the first 19 games of the Lakers' schedule and how important it is for the Lakers' from an intangible aspect and a mental aspect to get off on the right foot while they sort things out. All right, we'll take it to break, pitch it to our sponsors, and when we come back, it'll be me and Alan. Uh, And that's it.
2: Catch you on the flippity flip. All
1: right, so we're back. I'm talking to Alan on the night before the Lakers play their game two in China versus Brooklyn. Regardless, I wanted to get Alan's thoughts on Game 1, so we're going to kind of do a blast from the past sort of thing, uh, go back in time, but we're also hoping to, right after Alan gives his thoughts, just talk about the Lakers' early start to the schedule, give you guys a bit of an evergreen uh, segment. I'll just stop talking and rambling and let Alan get to his impressions of the Lakers' first game here and how excited he was, what he was expecting going into it. Alan, your thoughts on the Lakers' preseason Game 1, even though by this point we've already finished Game 2.
0: Yeah, dude. Super lit. Uh, I had work on Saturday. So like, I don't remember what time, but it was late. And I had to record the game and everything. So I was extremely distracted (laughs) while I was at work, just thinking about it. And uh, it was so nerdy, dude. I even recorded like the pregame show. And then I watched that before I even started the game, just because I wanted it to feel like the real thing. And I watched every commercial. I'm just kidding. I fast forward to commercials. But uh, yeah, I wanted it to be like a super authentic experience, give myself that delayed gratification. And uh, I'm so glad that I did because I was freaking hyped, dude. I actually watched the first half a total of three different times. Nice. <laughs> I watched it the first time on the Laker channel. I rewatched that on the Laker channel. And then I was like, oh, shoot, forgot this was on TNT. I wonder what they said. So then I watched uh, or listened to Chris Weber and Reggie Miller. And, um, God, Anthony Davis is a really amazing basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that one series where he set the pick, uh, for LeBron, and then LeBron bounced past it, pocket pass for Anthony Davis for the dunk, and then Rondo throws the alley oop, reverse dunk for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis had like a thousand dunks, and, um, <laughs> Ah, gosh. I think, you know, it finally hit me that he's a Laker when yep. he, LeBron, and Steph Curry were all shaking hands before the game as the captains. That's when it mm-hmm. actually hit me. I was like, holy crap. Like, yeah, these three guys are all on the same floor at the same time. It's not an all-star game. Um, so that helped things to sink in. And then, um, yeah, that was, that was crazy, dude. There, there was so much synergy and cohesion and the chemistry was like... So much better than one would think for the first preseason game. Yeah. So yeah, those are my my raw thoughts. Obviously, I have some other things to say about individual players, but it's the main thing.
1: Leading into it, uh, I know for myself, I've gotten used to, and maybe this is just my personality, I try to temper my expectations before something monumental like this and tell myself that it'll probably take him like a quarter or two. It's okay if he looks rusty, that's to be expected. And, you know, he did miss his first shot. It was like a Dirk fadeaway jump shot that he missed. And I was like, ah, that's to be expected. He's just working his way through becoming a Laker for the first time. And even LeBron James said he was nervous. So I'm sure Anthony Davis was nervous himself. And then after that first shot, it was off to the races from there. And, and quickly that sentiment dissipated, and I was like, okay, never mind, he's doing this, you know, and he's doing it ferociously. I mean, after that, it was like dunk fest, dunk upon dunk upon dunk by Anthony Davis, and just a complete showing of his strength and dominance, really. So did you have those sort of expectations? And then once it, once he kind of just pummeled you into submission with his greatness, how did you feel after that?
0: Yeah, dude, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to score 20-plus points, in all honesty. Um, and he didn't even play very much at the end of last season, right? So some of it is just getting back into game shape or whatever you want to call it. So um, to shake off the cobwebs, dust off the dust and all that, I uh, had that expectation as well. I would have been, honestly, if you're like, okay, what do you want to see tonight? I would have been like, I'll be happy with three to four like awesome plays and mm-hmm. just to get a little taste, just to dip your toe in the water. And uh, that would be completely satisfy me but obviously we got like 10 times that kind of satisfaction so yeah i agree with you tapering expectations
1: yeah to close this segment out just about game one um what are your thoughts on lebron james and anthony davis and that synergy between them for me it kind of felt like it's like in a superhero movie when you know the protagonist gets his powers for the first time and he's like whoa this is amazing and i didn't know i had these superpowers except it looked like, it seemed like LeBron James and Anthony Davis bypassed that whole first plot point where they're stumbling through their powers, right? They just get their superpowers and they're like, wow, this is amazing and this is working and off to the race as we go, you know, and uh, and, and I think for both of them, they it, it seemed like they had regained superpowers just because all of a sudden LeBron James had so much space and Anthony Davis had so much space as well, space that they never had without each other. So your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's an awesome analogy. Um, I mean, every time Anthony Davis had a putback, right, it's because the defense was collapsed around LeBron or whatever. Um, so the fact that he has so much room to operate and be the cleanup guy um, is something that there's, yeah, he's never had that type of experience before. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I really like what you said about suddenly <laughs> they, they took, like, the fast track, right, to um, – just having that feel you know playing with each other and uh, it's almost like they bypass puberty (laughs) just went straight (laughs) to full-on like sexual peak adulthood (laughs) (laughs) sure that's for the record
1: (laughs) well I liked LeBron's vulnerability and his transparency in admitting that he was nervous, you know? And once things started rolling, it's almost like you saw weight lifted off his shoulders like, Oh, this does work. Okay. It also felt like both of them were kids in a sandbox realizing that everything that they had imagined in their heads was going to come to pass, or was actually going to work. Granted, this is obviously just Game 1. Game 2, we'll see if... I mean, people who are listening to this know by now whether that continued, but it was awesome to see them on the court as they were playing sort of have these epiphanies that this might actually work. Just as we as fans are watching it, I could sense that from them as they were playing, as they saw this extra space, as they saw how easy it was, you know? So... I I enjoyed that excitement from them. Um, And also LeBron just being nervous and then having that weight lifted off of his shoulders once he realized, like, oh, even I have to be reminded how dominant and how great Anthony Davis is and how dominant he could be moving forward as well. Uh, Any last thoughts on that?
0: No, I I think that's a great observation uh, on your part.
1: Yeah. Um, Cool. So we're going to close this segment out with Alan talking about the Lakers' early start to the schedule just so we have an evergreen segment here for you guys. Allen, as you know, we have a pretty light schedule to start the season off, which is a nice change of pace for us. 11 of the Lakers' first 19 opponents missed the postseason last year. Two of the eight games against playoff teams are against OKC, who lost Paul George and Russell Westbrook. So we're not even sure how good one of those teams is going to be that we're playing that's a supposed playoff team. So keep that in mind. So this is how the playoff opponents by month look for the Lakers. In October, they have two opponents who made the playoffs last year out of four. In November, they only have six teams who made the playoffs last year out of 15. Now, the first five games of the Lakers season, they're all in Los Angeles. And that that includes like a game against the Clippers in Staples Center. I think that's the first game, right? We're technically a, a road team, that game. And our first road test features Dallas, San Antonio, and Chicago. Now, Dallas is probably going to be a lot better with Kristaps Porzingis, who looked really good tonight. He had 18 points. And Chicago is going to be a lot better as well, but I still consider those teams like fringe playoff teams. And San Antonio, San Antonio. So even the Lakers' first road test, I wouldn't necessarily consider daunting, especially after having five games to start off with at home in Los Angeles. Through the first 19 games till December, the Lakers play bottom feeder teams like Charlotte. They play the Memphis Grizzlies twice. They play Chicago. They play the Phoenix Suns. They play Atlanta. They play Washington. And then they play the Oklahoma City Thunder twice. Now, Chris Paul is probably going to be trying to start off, so maybe you take Oklahoma City out of that equation. But, you know, these are nine games that the Lakers should be heavy favorites in. And if they just take care of business, that will easily boost their record. And just to show you how important these 9 games are against bottom-feeding teams, if they only win these 9 games, these bottom-feeder games, and win nothing else, by December, they'll still be 9-10. and You know, so you're still technically a 500 team just winning the games that you're heavily favored in. So just to show you what a luxury it is to have these sorts of games and how important and valuable it is to take advantage of those when they are within your grasp. So with that said, given what we've seen from, you know, the the first preseason game, the first two preseason games for the Lakers and how dominant they could be and should be. What are your thoughts on the Lakers starting off really strong? And how do you think that will help contribute to their overall quest to becoming, you know, championship contenders? Not only championship contenders, Alan, but like literally believing that they are the best team in the league. Cause I really feel like there's an intangible element here that the Lakers can take advantage of, where if they really take advantage of, you know, getting off to a hot start, that can help snowball them into um, just such a great stretch, even when they do face adversity or even when they do face you know tougher opponents because it's like a snowball of momentum that let's say at the start they're still trying to figure things out, but because of the quality of their opponent they're i don't want to say they're faking it till they make it because they might literally already be that good. but as they sort things out, they're still winning games and hopefully by the end of that stretch, They're such a cohesive unit and they've really bought into everything. And not only that, but they have that confidence and belief in themselves that once they, you know, face a tough test, that belief in in themselves is going to just carry them through from that point on. Obviously, there's the downside in, let's say, I know a lot of people are concerned that Rondo is going to get a lot of minutes in this first half stretch, right? And maybe we're sweeping under the rug some potential concerns where Rondo maybe shouldn't be playing as much, but because we're winning he's going to continue to play, you know, and that'll bite us down the road. But I think for the most part, it'll still be positive for us to get this momentum going in a positive direction and boosting our confidence and morale. Yeah. So just what are your thoughts on the intangible elements that starting off strong can have for this team and how that can kind of just propel us forward even when we hit that tough patch?
0: Yeah. In in some ways it's like they have a lot of room for error, right? Mm-hmm. So they can go through these growing pains, um, of just establishing their identity and things like that while playing lesser opponents. So, sure, execution wise, you make some mistakes. Uh, guys still don't know how to read each other, right? It's just stuff that naturally takes time. And uh, if they can, again, like go through that painful period while playing inferior teams, I mean, there's, in my mind, there's nothing to complain about there. In terms of like confidence, obviously like you, you take it one game at a time, right? You don't think of it as this entire stretch of we need to get off to a hot start. It's like, no, you, as they said at media day, Frank Vogel, every single player was preaching the same message. Uh, we need to literally just concentrate on one game. And um, I, I think when you don't have any or very many difficult opponents to look forward to in the schedule, that's also very helpful, right? Um, you just need to focus on taking care of business. Um, and then additionally, of course, this means there's going to be less media distraction, right? Because if there isn't sure. this doom and gloom type of thing because they're playing difficult opponents and losing early, um, then yeah, the the whole media firestorm goes away. Uh, so it's just one less thing to worry about. You're not going to have talk about Frank Vogel being on the hot seat, <laughs> you know, mm. right to start the season. And okay, so is Jason Kidd already gunning for his job and blah, blah, blah. So I think um, this is the first time I feel like the Lakers have an easy schedule to start the season in the longest time.
1: And then what what are your thoughts just about how, well, one, I, I feel like it just smooths over some growing pains, right? And even though the Lakers, maybe their overall stature is inflated by their record and they don't necessarily, or maybe they're not as good as their record would indicate even through those first 19 games or so. I feel like just building up that confidence and walking into that identity that they, they may not have like reached ultimate cohesion yet, right? But because they've won so many games and racked up these wins and they're, they, they, they're playing for each other and they're feeling good about it. Can, can you speak to just what that can do on a morale level, a confidence-boosting level, where even when they hit adversity, they've already bought into the idea that, no, we are a championship team. We are the best team in the league. We're not settling for you know top in the Western Conference. We know for a fact, and maybe not for a fact, but because they've won these games together through the first half, regardless of how easy their schedule is, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of tough to stop a rolling boulder that's just has confidence, even if, you know, in December they run into some chemistry issues or they run into some schematic issues. Maybe by that point, because they've got that ball rolling, confidence kind of takes them the rest of the way and smooths over even the actual problems that they encounter down the road.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, winning cures everything. Right. So in this case, it's almost acting as like a preventative measure. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if they're already getting a bunch of wins under their belt to start uh, when they do inevitably face some adversity, play those difficult teams, they've learned how to win. They know what it feels like to win. Um, And the NBA is the NBA, right? Like the Bulls are probably going to be trash. The Suns are going to be trash, but they still have to. Uh, you know, execute. It's almost like you're you're competing against yourself. Like, mm-hmm. sure, you could put the the opponent away, win by double digits, but um, you're still going to pick apart the game from a schematic point of view uh, in terms of that level of execution. So, if, if they can, again, like take advantage of the opportunity to do so and hold themselves to that high standard while still getting Ws, uh, I, I would think they'll closer to fine-tuned against some of those um, more competitive teams
1: and if not fine-tuned on the court alan just fine-tune mentally and maybe that'll carry them to wins that they weren't you know supposed to win even if you know functionally on the court they've still got kinks to work out but that mental aspect of things kind of carries them the rest of the way yeah so i think again just to point out that the sorry way i have th- a good yeah. analogy yeah, yeah it has nothing
0: to it. do with, with sexual peaks um Great. but it's like when you're in school and you start off the semester, right, you you want to do well on those first few exams, those first quizzes, those first tests, because no one wants to see their grade really low after one week of class, right? Um, now, the material at the beginning of the semester is, is pretty easy, but as you see your grade continue to stay in the mid-90s or close to 100, day after day, week after week, you're like, okay, yeah, like, I am actually good at Algebra 2, you know, or whatever it is. And um, you give yourself kind of that cushion.
2: yeah. And
0: then you're less uptight as the material gets more difficult. Like right. at some point, you know, whether you're in pre-calc or calculus, whatever, you're like, okay, this is getting kind of freaking hard now, but at least I was able to progress in the very beginning. And now I'm not so nervous as the stuff gets harder, right? Like I can actually right. be a little bit looser when I walk into the exam day. Um, because uh, there isn't so much risk, or there isn't as much to lose. So yeah, you're right. From a psychological standpoint, um, yeah, I, in my mind, like that's kind of what it could be comparable to.
1: Yeah, once you've already walked into that identity, sometimes it's almost impenetrable, right? If you have that mental knowledge that this is who I am, even mm-hmm. if you know by by the actual on court standards of the opponents that you faced and the types of you know problems that you've encountered. You, you really haven't gone through those experiences yet, but you already believe it. So Yeah, you create your own does, reality. So sometimes like, it just doesn't well, matter, right? <laughs> exactly. All right, with that said, that'll do it for this episode. Obviously, you've watched Game 2. Tommy and I covered that in this first segment. Kind of a weird episode where we went back in time, got Alan's thoughts in Game 1, and then we're moving forward in time to project out into what the first half of the season could be. But hope all of that made sense for everybody. We kind of just wanted to throw this together for you guys, since we're so excited and hyped and lit about just how the Lakers have looked in the preseason, all of this China political craziness, notwithstanding. Um, But yeah, with that said, follow us on Twitter at Lakers legacy pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes and we're hoping to get our boys back home safely on solid U S territory and ground. Um, I'm going to play the Warriors for like the last three preseason games, I believe. And then, yeah, as I've been saying off to the races from there. All right. We will catch you guys next time. Alan. Jonathan. I'll catch you later, man. <laughs> later, bro. Good luck Lakers in your mission to sexual peakness. <laughs> <laughs> and in algebra two. And in algebra too. What weird analogies, but very apt ones as well. <laughs> We'll